Well, we're over in the book of Ephesians. I got a couple of updates on on folks. I know Jim is um, hoping to be here this Sunday. He is he is stated. So we'll see how that how that uh, works out for him. We I know he sure is looking forward to getting back and heading on out here. So that'll go on. Connie is uh, still at home. We had her down at physical therapy today, working on her knee. So she was doing doing well with that. And um, I thought there was another one too. Can't think who that was. But good to see the Jacob family all back. <laughs> Did to come through a lot of rain on the way home? Yeah, I figured that was that was going to be out there. Ephesians chapter four we began chapter four a few weeks ago. We got as far as verses one, two, and three. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Worthy of the calling with which you were called. Always good to be mindful of the calling that we have, that God has given to each one of us. And he's going to get more into that here tonight. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. We talked about lowliness and gentleness and with long-suffering, how that is to characterize our walk. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That the Holy Spirit is bringing the body of Christ into unity. Doesn't mean that we all agree on everything, but there is a unity that can be there. In verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. The one body is, of course, the body of Christ, which is in the New Testament, the church. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. So it does not matter where we came from. It does not matter what uh, our orientation was before. We are all in one body. There is, there is one body. I'm sorry. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. So the one body, of course, is the body of Christ. The one spirit is the Holy Spirit. And the one hope would be well, the, he's, ta- he's writing to the church, so the hope is the hope of the church. And we do have to make sure we understand that. The hope of the uh, Old Testament saints was different than the hope of those that are in the church. The hope for those that are in the church is that uh, the promises that are given, written to the church, that he is coming for his church and that he's going to prepare a place for us. Now, that, of course, would be for all, all people and that we would be up in the heavens with him while the tribulation is going on and then after the tribulation we would come down and be part of his kingdom and rule and reign with him. This is the hope of the church. This is the, the, the one hope is the hope of the church. So these are the aspects of it and whether you know people believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit whether they believe in spiritual gifts whether they believe in healing our hope is still the same. That part doesn't change. He then goes on <clears throat> one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Well, one Lord, of course, is Jesus Christ. One faith, uh, not one target. Now, we're not talking about the target of our faith. We're talking about one faith. Ephesians 2 and verse 8 speaks about how we are given a... It's up there on the screen. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. We've been given a measure of faith, and that measure of faith was for salvation. And so this this faith would be... Uh, for by the grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. The faith that we have is the gift of God and He gave to everybody the same gift. Thank God for that. So we have one faith. Everyone, no matter whether they have faith for healing, whether they have faith for whatever it might be, we all have faith for salvation and it's about it. we're all giving it in the same place. So there's one faith. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. This is not water baptism. Now, the unfortunate part is here is that the early translators, when they came to the word uh, baptizo, uh, transliterated it because they didn't want to translate it. To translate it, the, the word means to immerse. That's all it is. It was no special word. It was not a word for a particular ceremony. It just meant, it meant that you were to be immersed in water. Well, at the time, they were not immersing people in water. They were sprinkling. So you can't necessarily translate baptizo uh, as Immersing, because people will come up to you and say, well, how come we're not immersing? We're sprinkling. So what they did was they just came up with a new word. They just transliterated it and came up with the word baptize. But then they carried that 
throughout all the translation. And here, this, this word is not referring to the uh, water baptism, but that's what it would seem to be because we're so used to seeing that word baptized, and when we see it, we think water baptized. But again, going over to 1 Corinthians 12:13 that we looked at uh, before, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body. This word in this particular context means placing into. We have been placed into one body. Before it could be immersed in water or placed into water. Here it's speaking about being placed into the body of Christ. So one baptism means we were all, we were placed in one, there was one placing. We were placed into the body of Christ. Weist has this in the word. The words translated are one placing into. That is, in response to our act of faith, we were placed by the Holy Spirit into the body of which Christ is the head. Then he goes on and says, one God. We're not like other religions that have many gods. We have one. One who is above all. And he goes on with this. He says, who is above all, through all, and in you all. So he is above all. He is the God over all things. He is through all. In fact, everything that there is, God is through it. God is a part of it. And then in you all. And he's not saying that to everyone. He's saying in you all in the saints. He is not in unsaved people. He is in the saints. Some of these people want to come in that God is in everybody. No, He's not. God is in those who have accepted Him and have given Him a place to be placed inside of Him and have been placed inside of His body. So He says all this, the uh, one God, one baptism, one placing in the body, one Lord, and one, 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 one. We just see all these ones. Everything is one. And so we spend these verses talking about all the oneness of the body. All the oneness of God. All the oneness of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All the oneness of the Spirit. And all these things that are one. But now, lest we lose our identity completely. He then goes on. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So in other words, we're saying it this way. There's one God. There is one Lord, there is one Spirit, there is one placing in the body. But, amongst the body, a whole lot of difference. A whole lot of difference going on there in the body. But it's all one body. But just in the body, there's a whole lot of individuals. And we're all individuals, and, we, we all, and God sees us as individuals. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. But to each one of us, to each one of us, which means he didn't leave anyone out. He didn't just have a group of one body and throw out a bunch of grace. And wherever it landed, it landed. Well, if we missed you, sorry. Just wait for the next distribution. It wasn't that way. To each one was given. So it's not the idea that you have one huge body and this grace is just thrown out amongst all of them. It is that to each one, here you go, to each one, here you go. No one was missed. To each one was given. But to each one of us. Now again, here's the word us. We're talking about those folks that are in the body. Those folks that are in the church. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now we look at that word grace and we begin to think that, well, you know, this is just grace for salvation or grace. And that's not what it is at all. This word grace here is speaking about ministry. It's about the, the ministry gifts that God has given. And so, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So, according to what, what God has put into us, this grace was given out. I had this again from, from Weiss. This grace was in the form of the enabling and empowering of the Holy Spirit. All the different ministries we stand in. All the different things. You look around the body of Christ and there's all kinds of different ministries. You have, um, I mean, not just the fivefold pastor teachers. You have all kinds of different ministries besides that. Each one is a manifestation of something from Jesus' ministry. We all take on an aspect of it. We all take on a part of that. The offices are called graces because they are not something we choose, but what we are given. They are called graces because they are not something that we choose, but what we are given. Let's go back and look at 7 again. But to each one of us, grace was given 
according to the measure of Christ's gift. So to each one it was given. Now, if we are given something, we can't just look at it and say, well, I want the other one. I like that one instead. I want this one over here. No, I don't want that one. I want No, it's, it's grace that was given. We say, thank you. I'll, I'll do that. Because in His infinite wisdom, God who is above all, He decided that this was the grace that was going to be given to me. And so we, t- we take that and we walk in it. Grace was given to me. So if God has given us something, we certainly need to do something with it, don't we? Now, again, and in, in he started off in the Ephesians here, we had to know what our, the, the hope of our calling was. We need to get into, into that. We need to find out what is the grace that is given to me, and I need to be in operation with it. Because for some people, and he's going to get into the, the fivefold ministry, but beside the fivefold ministry, there are other ministry oper, opportunities, other things that are given, and we're not going to get into all those tonight. Maybe we'll get into them next week if uh, we feel that's the, the way we ought to go. But here he, he's going to get into the fivefold ministry. And look at what they did. But verse 8, Therefore he says, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. So, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. So there's a twofold thing that he did when he went on high. He took the captives with him and gave gifts to men. So with him to heaven, he took the captives And left behind are the ministry gifts that were in his ministry. And he left them behind and he distributed them amongst people. Now this he ascended, what does it mean? But that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. We've talked about this before, but just to make sure everybody's on the understanding of that. Jesus Christ went into the heart of the earth. After he died, he went into the heart of the earth. He descended down into the heart of the earth. He says here, now this he ascended, what does it mean? But that he first descended in the lower parts. Plural. Not singular. The lower parts of the earth. When we're using plural as far as parts of the earth, what are we discussing then? How many parts are there in the lower parts of the earth? In the Old Testament. There was paradise, Abraham's bosom, and there was... Hades, hell. Two parts, but two parts are parts. It's not part of the earth. It is parts of the earth. So he descended. He went into the parts of the earth. That means he went on the good side and the bad side. He went on both sides of it. He went on to the hell side and he went on to the paradise side. He was on both both sides of it. And he says he took cap- the, the, uh, the captives and led them into freedom. He cannot take them from the Hades side because the only place they're going to go is to the, wake, the great white throne judgment and then on into the lake of fire. The captives that he took were the ones that were on the other side, the paradise side, because they were held captive until the price was paid and then they could go on into heaven. So once that was done, he, he took them and said, all right, guys. It's time. Let's go. And he led them off. He led them on up, up into, the, into the place. No longer would they be captives. And on his way, while he took them, he, uh, he gave gifts unto the men. Now, he went into hell. We've told you this before, but hell is not Satan's base of operations. The fact that Jesus went to hell does not mean he was under the jurisdiction of the devil. Hell, Satan has absolutely no jurisdiction over He has no part of it. He probably has never even been there. He has no right to it. He cannot be there. He's never going to be sent there for punishment. He will never really be a part of hell. The demons don't come out of hell. There's another uh, uh, place that demons are put, and it's not hell. It's Tartaros. And that is a different place, and that is for the demons. Hell is a place that was made for men when they fell, and that's where they were sent. So when Jesus went into the lower parts of the earth, he went into hell. Some Christians have a hard time. Well, then Jesus was tortured by Satan. Well, Satan's got to be there in order for that to happen. And that is not Satan's operation. The Word of God tells us that the spirits and principalities and powers operate not out of the heart of the earth, but out of the air. They're the prince of the power of the air. They're in the area of the first heaven, the atmospheric area of the, uh, around the earth. 
That's where they operate out of, not in the lower parts of the earth. He didn't go there. He went to the other, other spots. He who first descended, verse 10, is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens. What is that? Plural, because there's more than one heaven. There are the heavens that surround the earth. That is the atmosphere. This is where Satan and his foes operate from. He went through the first heaven with the captives. Right on through Satan's base of operations. Basically, na, 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 na. <laughs> Can't stop me. And he's just taking all the captives right on through. And, and Satan's kingdom can do nothing about it. Nothing about it. And then he goes through the second heavens, which is where all the stars and the planets and such things like that reside. And then on into the third heaven, which is heaven that we think of with where, where God is. So those are the heavens that are there. He descended and then he ascended. And on his way, he left gifts unto men. Now, he just gets into this little teaching here. really seems to not have too much to do with everything else, but he just decided to throw this in. And then he picks it up in verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. He himself, Jesus, gave some, not all, but some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. But once again, he called these graces. They were things that were given as a grace from God. There are people who like the appeal of certain offices in the body of Christ and have decided to usurp them. And take them over. But they've taken the office, but not the grace. The office without the grace is very hard. <laughs> you can't do that. And, uh, and you're, just, you're not, that anointing is not going to be there with you. It, it's, it's not going to be there. I, even in some who have been in a five-fold ministry, you'll find some prophets who decided to take on the office of a pastor. Some pastors who decided to take on the office of a prophet. Some prophets who decided to take on the office of an apostle. And so forth, and you keep going on. And that's, no, that's not the way that it is. God puts some. It is God who picks them. And it's, it's not us. So make sure, following after God, doing the things that God says, because when God gives the office, He also gives the grace. If you don't have the grace, you get very frustrated. It's very tough to operate in an area of ministry without the grace. That doesn't mean that you don't ever get frustrated in your area of that you are working in. How many of y'all know that even though you're working in the area that God has given you grace for, that God has called you to be in, it still can be frustrating. Anybody been there? But that, it can still be frustrating because that's when we get pulled out of the grace and begin to operate in the flesh. When we get pulled out of God's grace and begin to operate in our own power. When we get pulled out of doing what God said and did what we thought we ought to do. And all you've got to do with that is not quit the grace, not quit the office that God put you into, but get back into grace. Get back into the place that God, do it the way that God said to do it. Because it's not going to do any good to get up to heaven and say, well, I gave it a shot. Because <laughs> you know, we've seen many a story in the New Testament that Jesus told us of people who came to God and to give excuses. You know, they, we have the, the, uh, the judgment seat, the um, judgment of nations, and you got the goats on one side, and they say, when did we see you? Give me excuses. You know, if we would have seen you, we would have certainly. When did we see you? <laughs> he doesn't take the excuses too well. When the man who took the, uh, the one uh, talent and buried it, he, God was not too impressed with that. He, he, we don't get the idea that this is okay. And many other examples Jesus gave in parables of people who tried to use excuses for not doing what they were supposed to have been doing. And, um, you know, we, we all get into a place where we justify ourselves real well. How many of all justified ourselves real well? We've all thought of, well, you know, I, I don't think God's come through for me on here. I don't think God's done the right thing for me over here. Doesn't do any good. I told you before when we were down there at Ramah, they used to, they told us before, uh, many times. Never quit a church on Monday. <laughs> 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 <laughs 
the grace, you know, that's, that's when you run. That's when you run into it most. Because Sunday, you know, you have the service, and then stuff happens. And then you can get real discouraged. And so they would always say, "Never quit a church on Monday." And there were a couple of times that, uh, you know, when I was an assistant pastor and stuff, I walked into the pastor's office, and I was ready to quit on Monday. <laughs> and all I kept thinking was. Never quit a church on Monday. All right, I'm waiting till tomorrow. But tomorrow, <laughs> it's Tuesday. <laughs> Never said nothing about Tuesday. I only said Monday. <laughs> oh man, no, you can't do that. You gotta, uh, you gotta stay in there. You gotta let the grace of God work in you, because God has given you grace for the things that you're gonna go through. Because yeah, people put you through stuff. Because we have immature people that we deal with, and they put us through things. And then sometimes, you know, we feel like, well, I don't deserve this. Well, that shouldn't be this way. Well, we need to see how much responsibility we have on it. Because we're there to help them and to teach them. Brother Doug Jones, one of the times when I was in the pastoring class, uh, somebody asked him, I think I've relayed this story to you before, but somebody uh, asked him. This is one of those times when I can remember where I was sitting in school. I remember where he was. (laughs) Just kind of burned into my memory. And somebody asked them, they were talking about uh, people who fell out under the power. And, I mean, it was a very legitimate question. They said, well, people who are really generally slain in the spirit, if they fall, they don't get hurt. So should we really have catchers? And uh, Brother Doug just kind of casually answered. He says, yeah, 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 get in, have the catchers, you know, be in there and, uh, you know, do, do that thing. And he went on and whatever it was he was teaching and going on about his, uh, his topic and then all of a sudden, he just stopped teaching. And he came right back over to where the student was who asked him, not necessarily picking on him. He just wanted to finish answering the question. He says, I need to get back on that for a moment. He says, you certainly have catchers in the church. Because first off, if they're falling under the power and they aren't truly slain in the spirit, it's your fault as the pastor. I thought, oof. <laughs> yeah, you said you, you need to teach them better. And I'll tell you what, that's right. That's, that's certainly right. Well, and that means sometimes we can say, well, they ought to listen better. Well, maybe, but maybe you've got to put it in a different way so that they can listen better. <laughs> you know, sometimes we've taught some things even here, and some people haven't gotten it, haven't gotten it, haven't gotten it. Then, you know, it's really easy to get frustrated and going back and say, well, just forget it. They're never going to get it. No, no, I keep going back there and, and saying, uh, Father God, there's a way that we can make this clear. There's a way to make this plain. You've got to show me how to do it. Because there's some things, you know, I fully understand the difference between something. But, you know, we're in this, this topic now here on Sunday morning on head faith and heart faith. And when I approached God about this, I told him, I says, I fully understand the difference between head faith and heart faith. If I look at head faith in the I can see it. I can, it's, it's just, I can hear people. And when they're talking, I know they're talking out of their head. I know it. I can pick it out without much problem at all. I can hear their conversation. I know they won't hear it from me. I know if I told them you're, you're, you believe it in your head, they won't hear it. I, I, this is the conversation I'm having with God. I said, but I have to get, he said, you've got to reveal it to me in such a way that I can explain it clear. That I can explain it in such a way that if people look at it, they can say, all right, this is so. Like, just like we did with the fruit. There ought to be a way. Remember that we do in the fruit series? And I said, there ought to be a way. If God expects us to, have fr- to bear fruit, there ought to be a way that we can tell whether we're fruit-bearing or not. Doesn't that make sense? That there ought to be a way we can tell? Well, certainly in other things like that, we've, we've looked at the same thing. There has to be a way that we can do that. And see, that's my job to go before God and get it and find out. Because if people are still believing with their head and not their heart, and not getting the thing that they need to be getting, then I need to get into the Word more and find out, all right, well, how can we make this clearer? It doesn't do you any good if I understand it. <laughs> Does it? It doesn't help you out at all. What we have to do is get you to see it in the Word of God. And so I spent some time going after God on this thing, still going after Him on the, on the thing. I said, you know, we've we got to make it even more clear. you got to, Father God, you need to help me out with that. Give me the understanding of that. I need to... I need to be able to explain it and pinpoint it and, uh, and show it with folks because, uh, you know, not talking about other churches and other states, talking about this one right here. We've got a whole lot of head faith going on, and we're not getting the thing that we need. We've got to get it out of the head and get into the heart. Heart believing is what? So when you're praying for the church, make sure you be praying along those ways. 
We need people to get it. To, to get it. To understand. Ah, oh, that's in my head. I, I mean, I know this, but it's not in my heart yet. I haven't, I haven't gotten that revelation of the thing yet. So I, that's one of those things that really stuck in me from Brother Doug when he was doing the pastoring class was, if you've got a problem like that going on, it's probably your fault of the pastor. <laughs> yep, probably so. We need to get better. And he himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Now, these are a five-fold ministry. <clears throat> they all have different purposes. Sometimes it's easy to just look at certain ones. Oh, I don't like that office because I've seen brother so-and-so. I've seen sister so-and-so operating that. Oh, it just rubs me the wrong way. And we take the whole office out. There's a whole lot of people who like to go by the name of apostle who aren't doing anything apostolic. I, I remember years ago, someone from the church came and they said, uh, we, we went over and visited this church in whatever place that it was. And, and who was the pastor? Apostle so-and-so. I said, well, how long? I don't know why I asked the question, but I said, well, how long have they been there? Something like 15 years. <laughs> now, I just wanted to tell them right off the bat, that that's no apostle. <laughs> That's, no, that's not the ministry of an apostle. It might be a pastor, but that's not an apostle. You know, but sometimes we think, you know, apostle, more power. So let's just use the more powerful name, apostle. Well, not if you're not called to it. That's not going to do you any good. If you're not called to apostle, then you can carry that name all you want to. It ain't going to help. You know, and then people who have to introduce themselves as prophet so-and-so. If you've got to introduce yourself as prophet so-and-so, then I'm not so sure. You know, just let the gift speak for itself. But we've got people that are going out there, apostle so-and-so, prophet so-and-so. You don't hear too many people going around saying evangelist so-and-so. Maybe that one's just not as, uh, <laughs> not as much. But, you know, an evangelist, their, their calling and their purpose is different. Never go to an evangelist expecting a teacher because you're not going to get that. An evangelist is not the evangelist's purpose. The evangelist's purpose is, is evangelism. You're going to see a lot of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in operation. You're going to see uh, some, some of the power gifts that are going to go on inside that evangelist um, area of ministry because that's what's there to help him accomplish the ministry he has as an evangelist. He's not there necessarily to teach different things. He's there to exhort. He's there to get people to turn their lives around to God. And then he moves on. He goes on to someone else. And it's for the pastors and teachers to get in there and take them and, and to raise them on up. But then sometimes, you know, pastors and teachers, they get all frustrated because all I'm doing is, you know, teaching and pastoring and, and stuff like that. And I'd rather go out there and do this. Well, you don't have grace for that. I know one person, one person I enjoyed a great deal. They were an evangelist. They decided to move into another area of, of ministry and got off. As far as I know, they still are off. I still haven't made that correction. Well, you see, if you're called to be an evangelist, you won't have the anointing and the grace to be a pastor. See, an evangelist can, can go around and they can teach on three or four things. And they can get really good at teaching three or four things. That's all they got to do. And, and that's it. An apostle can go around and they can teach a, a certain several sets of series. And be real good at those sets of series and come on in and, and lay things in order and then head on out and, and get this other one going. And, but that's what they're, they're called into. But if you take that anointing and try and put it in the same place for a long period of time, well, it's not going to work because you don't have that anointing for it. Pastor may not get into a, may not be able to develop a teaching to the degree that an evangelist can, but they're calling requires that they keep going into new areas and, and uh, finding out what the areas of need are in, for that church and then to develop those and to, and to go after them. And if you have the grace for that, then that excites you. I've had conversation with people that travel around and teach, and I said, not for me. I said, because you all have to teach the same thing over and over and over and over again. I said, that's not mine, Oni. I said, I keep going back into the Word of God to find new stuff. And uh, to, to go after, a, not, not new topics, but just go after the same thing and go after, all right, we've got to find some new, new principles in this and some new things in, in this thing. And, 
And that, for, for me, is fun. That, for me, is exciting. But other ones that say, oh, I, the idea of having to come up with something different Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, that, that, to them, that's pressure. <laughs> but see, that's the grace of it all. That's what's, what's going on. And you, they, have, they have their calling. They have their thing that they do. And each one does. And as we each operate in those areas, in these fivefold now over, I think it's over in Romans, they get into some of the other ministry gifts that are outside of these. But here he's just talking about these five. He himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And there's a purpose for them. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, sometimes we see that as a list of what the fivefold ministry is supposed to do. Many times we've seen that. But it's not. The fivefold ministry is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's not that the fivefold gifts are to do the work of the ministry. They are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. This is why when you go out there and you're ministering to somebody, you find somebody who has a need for prayer. The first response should not be, oh, let me get the pastor. <laughs> because why are you being equipped? For what purpose? For the work of ministry. Which means, lay hands on them. They know you. Oh, that, that they know me. <laughs> no, you're there for, you're equipped. You need to go into these things and, and look at it. I am equipped for the work of ministry. I am equipped for the work of ministry. But too often, we look at a ministry opportunity, and then we th oh, boy, I wish I could do that. Oh, I wish I could pray for unsaved people. I wish I could pray for people to get healed. I wish I knew how to. No, you, you can. You just need to look yourself in the mirror and say, I am equipped for the work of the ministry. I am equipped for the work of the ministry. Whatever it is that's out here, whatever it is that comes my way, I am equipped to do that work of the ministry. I'm able to do it. Whatever's out there, I can do it. I've been under apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. I'm equipped for the work of the ministry. For, see, if, if, the, if the saints do the work of the ministry, we see the edifying of the body of Christ. The body of Christ begins to be built up. If we just have a couple of people running around doing all the work of the ministry, the, the body of Christ gets worn down. We don't want to have the body of Christ worn down. We want the body of Christ to be built up. And when we go out there and we do the work of the ministry and we see it accomplished, we get excited. Like, hey, God used me. That's a fun thing when God uses you, isn't it? Don't you, get it? Don't you come back and don't you feel built up? Oh, God used me. I laid hands on someone and they got healed. Headache went away. Flu quit right in its tracks. Whatever it was, you, you got in there and you got to minister to them. Help them out. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So this is the goal of this is that the saints will be equipped to do the work of the ministry, that the body of Christ will be edified. Verse 13. <clears throat> Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So this, this pattern is to continue until we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man. Don't think we're there yet. But that's what we're working towards. Now, it may not be until Christ comes back, and all these fivefold really are going to be in operation until, until uh, Christ comes back. But that's all fine. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, what this is telling us here, too, is the people that are out in the body of Christ right now. There are people out there in the body of Christ. Well, I don't need prophets in my life. I mean, I've heard some prophets. I don't like any of them. They're all kind of weird. They don't say things that I like to hear. Well, you know, I'm not really in a church. I don't really need to be in a church. I mean, uh, I've been in churches for a long time. I've kind of gotten mature and 
Well, now I'm just kind of moving around and seeing what... No. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Until that happens, get in the church. We're all in a church. We're in the, in the place. We're under the fivefold ministry. We listen to apostles. We listen to prophets. We listen to pastors. We listen to teachers. We listen to evangelists. We get what they all have to, to sow in. Because they're all bringing some different things into our lives. There's some, some great evangelists that are out there. And we need to, to hear what some of them have to say. Evangelists are out there getting people saved in groups, large, large meetings, miracles, things like that are going on in the, in the meeting. Get underneath those ministries, hear what they have to say. Don't get in there and say, well, they didn't teach me anything at all. So, that wasn't their area of ministry. Get, to, get what their area of ministry is for. Not everybody has to be a teacher. I think we've used him as an example before, but Jesse Duplantis probably could be a phenomenal teacher. But instead, he stays in his office where he's uh, called to be. And he, you come on out of there, you feel charged up. He'll fire you up to do the Word of God that you know. Does a real, real good job of that. Benny Hinn, you get into those meetings. You see the, the working of God, all kinds of power things going on. People getting saved, people getting healed, people getting set free. They all supply something different because they've been given a grace that's in that particular area. A person who stands in the, prof, in the prophet ministry, they have the grace for it. And they're going to be bringing things that we need to hear from the, from the prophet. And, you know, you know, thankfully, with the advent of the Internet and, and recorded messages and stuff, we can get prophets from all over the place. When the word goes out, we can go ahead and read them and things like that. We know how to judge prophecy. But get what they are, are bringing to us. So till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children to, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. That we should no longer be children. The word there for children is the one that means, is a, is a Greek word that means one who cannot speak. One who cannot speak. That's not how we're supposed to be, that we should no longer be children who cannot speak, tossed to and fro. Because, you know, the Greek has words for all kinds of children, all kinds of steps along the way. Uh, they're not just all kids or children or stuff. They're, they're very descriptive in each one of the terms. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. This is God's goal, that we don't walk in this anymore. That we don't step out in this, in this area. We should no longer be children tossed to and fro. In other words, <clears throat> if we don't get what these five ministries offer, we will be children tossed to and fro. Now, new, newborn Christians are generally tossed to and fro with all kinds of new stuff that comes along. But he says, no longer be that way. Don't, that's not how we're supposed to go. That's not how we're supposed to be. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. That word, the, that <coughs> word there, deceitful plotting, <coughs> excuse me, comes from the Greek word that we actually get the word cube from. Dice. They use this word cube to, 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 for dice and they were some games that they would play. And what would happen is they would go on out there and they would do these, but they would, you know how they accuse Las Vegas of, of you know, stacking the dice, you know, fixing the dice so that they come up certain ways. Well, this is what they would do. They had ways of causing the dice to come up the way that they would. And they would use the dice to, to lure people into games and through trickery take their money. And this is the word that they use in this thing. That they would take people who were innocent, people who didn't realize what was going on, and oh, sure you want to play this game, and you know maybe they'll let them win a time or two until you know they start to get confident and they start uh, put more money on the table, and then they start uh, taking that back, and and they would through deceitful plotting by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. So this is what they do, this trickery of men, this deceitful plotting, this coming out and, and causing people to go in a direction that's not beneficial for them, 
but beneficial for the one who's in the game, who's starting the game. But we should no longer be that way. We should no longer be carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. They sit out there and they plot. They think of ways. How can we get people to come after this? We don't have to come up with truth. We don't need truth. What we need is for people to buy into what we're selling. That's all we need. As long as it looks good at the onset and we get people to come after it, it's all that we need. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things. So here's the contrary part. Not being like this way, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him, into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by whatever joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things. In other words, speaking the truth, speak the word. Speak the word. Speaking the truth, you're going to be, you, you want the word of God to get on the inside of you and that you speak the word. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. When the Word of God dwells in us richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. These are the, the aftergrowths of that. And whatever you do in word or deed. I heard someone put it this way. When the word of Christ dwells in you richly, it comes out in your words and your deeds. Isn't that the word where it's going to come out at? When the word of God dwells in us richly, it's going to come out in our words and in our deeds, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So these are the things that we should be doing. Speaking the truth or speak the word in love may grow up in all things. We should be speaking the word. Whenever we see a situation, we should be speaking the word. Not carried about by this trickery of men, not carried around about by the cunning craftiness that people come up with, not carried about by every wind of doctrine, but when we see a situation, it is the Word of God that comes up in us and we speak it. We speak the Word. So, but speaking the truth in love, verse 15 again, may grow up in all things, may grow up in all things. As believers, we are to grow up in all things. That means we are to grow up in the things of love. We are to grow up in the things of kindness. We are to grow up in the things of gentleness. We are to grow up in the things of long-suffering. And the list goes on and on. We are to grow up in these things. By growing up in them, we know how to use them. We know how to properly use them. But speaking the truth in love, we grow up in all things unto Him, into Him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. So every joint is supplying something, and so the body then is satisfied and can grow. But every joint, every part of the body of Christ needs to be functioning. And we need to receive, not shut down, but receive what all those parts have for us. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by whatever joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Every one of us, every part must do our share. What is my share? What is the grace given to me? What is it that I'm supposed to do? I need to do it. If I do it, then the whole body grows together. Every part does its share. If the whole body does the work of the ministry, instead of just a handful of people doing the work of the ministry, if the whole body does the work of the ministry, then things grow and things develop and people grow up and people overcome things. 
And that's what we need to be doing. According to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This can be growth in, in as far as, as people going out and bringing in new, new believers. Because we're going out and we're sharing the Word of God. We're going out and we're laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. And they say, wow, that's neat. Can you take me to church with you? Hey, you're ministering to them. You gave them an undeniable evidence of the existence of God and His love. Sure, they're going to want to go to church with you. Find out where, what's going on. It causes growth of the body. We could be seeing growth in that we're, we're expanding the body of Christ. More and more people are getting born again. But also, the body itself is growing up in all things. That we have the responsibility to help those who are less mature than we are to mature in the things of God. And so they grow that way. Working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. The edifying of itself in love. Oh, love is the... The basis of it all again, isn't it? We need to operate in that, in that area. But this is the goal that he has for the church, that we begin to grow and go, go this way. But as soon as we begin to fight and devour and bite and kick and resist, and, well, I'm not, well, I don't think, well, I don't deserve, and we get those kind of things that are mixed in, it stops the flow of what every joint supplies which means we aren't growing because we're not operating in love towards each other. And we're not receiving from each other. We're not receiving the things that we need to grow up in that area of, uh, of maturity. But if we do, we will no longer be children tossed to and fro about with every wind of doctrine. We're not going to be carried around by, by things. Things are not going to take us out. The news of the world not going to influence us. We're going to come back to those that are our own. And we're going to talk to them. You know what the devil tried to pull on me this week? <laughs> he didn't get me. No, he's not going to get me. He's not pulling me out of this. This is the picture that Paul shows. All right, we have one body. We have one Lord. We have one family, one faith, all these ones. But each one of us is individuals. Each one of us brings something in to God, into the body of Christ. Each one of us brings something. What are we bringing? What are we, we doing? Are we seeing ourselves as prepared for the work of the ministry? Are we going out amongst our friends, our relatives, our co-workers? And are we demonstrating the power of God, the wisdom of God? Are we taking the Word of God that we know and sharing that with other people? Well, the Word of God, do you know what the Word of God says on that? Oh, well, they won't receive it. Don't decide for them. Get out there and, to, and do that. Aren't you glad that somebody shared some wisdom with you? Some time ago when you weren't walking the way that you should. Well, let's share that same thing with someone else. You don't know. No one else knew that you were going to respond to it, but you did. So go on out there and help, help someone else. This is the picture that Paul has of the body of Christ. That the whole thing begins to work. And the whole thing begins parts. And every part adds something. It's just like your car. Every part adds something. You can't get rid of a part. You can't just say, oh, I don't like the... The, the fuel injector. Oh, I don't like the brakes. Oh, I don't like the way the transmission is. It just brings this big lump in here. Oh, I don't like this. I don't see why I need this fan. Why is this belt here? It's just squeaking and making noise. No, we can't just go in there and take a part out because every part is necessary to make that whole car begin to work. And they begin to do some things. What God has. You know, we look at the way God has, has built even nature. It, it's called the ecosystem. And every area has its own ecosystem. And you've got, you know, the, the, um, the little tiny things that are prey. And then the things that feed on them. And then the stuff that feeds on the stuff that feeds on them. And the stuff that feeds on them, they feed on them, and it goes right on down. And what happens is, if any one population gets out of line, then the whole ecosystem works in such a way as to bring that back into line. Because if you get more of the small bugs that are food for the next line up, and there's all kinds of them, well, then there's all kinds of food for the next line up. And so you get all kinds of that one. And they just begin to multiply because they've got lots of food around. And so they begin to eat down the populations of that one. And then 
that, that whole ripple will just go right on through. It's just fascinating to see how God sets up stuff with, with all that. And then, of course, you know, we've messed some things up with it. With, you know, the airplanes, they carried this bug into this area, and there's no enemy for it. <laughs> or this fish gets released into the, into the rivers, and there's no enemy for it, and begins to take over stuff. And uh, it just shows you the, how God has set all this thing up. It's all set up as a balance. And the body of Christ is set up as a balance this way. But this is how we need to work. This is how we need to go. If we do, we benefit and the body benefits. And this is what Paul is showing us in here. This is the goal that we need to have. But make sure they take his challenge. That each one of us does our share. Father God, what is it that's my share? What is it that's my part? Who are the people that I'm supposed to be ministering to and helping and bringing up? What are the ones that that I'm supposed to be out there doing for? Teaching, helping, instructing, nurturing, mentoring, whatever it might be. What is it that I'm supposed to do? And you get on out there and you do it as unto God. And that's what we do. Glory to God. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. We thank you for the wonderful body of Christ that you have put us into. Oh, it's quite a system where you have put these gifts in the body. And they feed us, they develop us, they help us because we are more ready for the work of the ministry because of the work that they do. We thank you for the other areas of ministry that are put into the body of Christ, all of which nurture and help and keep the body going. As you've talked about it before, there's hands in the body, there's eyes in the body, there's ears in the body, there's feet in the body. And a feet can't do what a hand does and a hand can't do what an eye does and an eye can't do what an ear does. But when each one does its part, the body just functions so well. Father, we thank you for the grace that you have given to each one of us. Grace for something. Grace for some ministry. Grace for some area that we are to, to do. And all we're going to do that with all our heart. We're not going to look at someone else's grace and someone else's gift, someone else's ministry and say, oh, no, I want that one instead. Now we realize this is what God has graced me with. This is what God has said. I need you to do this. And we're going to do it with everything that we have. Thank you, Father, for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray.